Hi everyone and Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of Visible in Visuals for 2021. This time around we will be discussing mental health, something that has probably been even more important and relevant given the recent events. Our panel will be discussing mental health in the workplace, how to keep healthy work-life balance and how to take care of yourself while working remotely. We will also be providing a document with some useful information on it, so please take a look at our Twitter, YouTube and Instagram feeds for a link to that. Thank you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Mohamed Orekon. I am an animator at Lighthouse Studios. Recently moved to Ireland, so still getting used to how cold it is. Um, I used to live in Bristol, um, and then during the, during the um, lockdown pandemic, then I moved over to Ireland. Um, yeah, it's been all right pretty much since then. Hello, my name is Evgenia Golubeva, and I'm a director and a writer for Kids TV. And at the moment, I'm working on a new TV show uh, at Blue Zoo, directing it and head writing, which is great fun. And uh, I'm originally from Russia, uh, from an ethnic minority called Chuvash. Uh, and uh, I moved to UK something like 10 years ago now. So and I really enjoy living here. Hi, everyone. My name is Steph Lee. I run a small independent animation studio with my husband called Kino Vino. And we're based in Leicester. And we basically do lots of 2D animation for education, um, healthcare, and explainer videos, that kind of stuff. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah McCaffrey. So I'm a counsellor psychotherapist and the founder of a company called Solace Mind that provides mental health support to uh, productions, studios, creative freelancers. So we supply training and then a counselling service to support a crew while they're on set and on shoots. Hi, I'm Ben Mitchell. I'm an animator, previously freelance, and currently at a studio in Bristol called Shy Guys. Uh, I also make films and I write about animation. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief at squiggly.com. And uh, in more recent years, I've lectured and tutored at several universities. And um, yeah, I was interested in participating with this discussion because it's a subject that rears its head quite a lot um, in all those uh, capacities. So thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, off the back of that, so the first question is, um, what are your own experiences with mental health and has it ever impacted your working life? Who would like to? Yes, Steph. Hi, okay, I'll start. Um, so when I first graduated from university, I um, went straight into freelancing and I'd never done it before. And I was, it was kind of the only option at the time because it was 2008 after the financial crash. So there weren't many jobs and um at the time I was very very nervous and very anxious and I didn't I didn't actually realize that I was suffering from anxiety disorder and I was kind of traveling around the country and like I was get I was feeling like physically sick I'd often um I was often being sick I had a lot of stomach problems a lot of back and forth with the doctors and it just kind of created a lot of stress just the act of like going to work and I think that was kind of the first time I realized that I had I had a bit of a problem um, I had um, postnatal depression when my daughter was born six years ago and um, 
uh, at the moment, at the time, I was uh, kind of establishing myself in the UK, trying to have enough work as well. So it was quite challenging. I used to work for companies in Soho and in London. And when I had my daughter, we moved to the Midlands. And obviously, I didn't know many people and found postnatal depression quite hard. I didn't know much about it as well. So I assumed there's something wrong with me. And um, it was quite, it took me a while to actually find, uh, realize what's going on and um uh, find help as well and uh, um, and I guess uh, as a woman it's, it's there are so many pressures in the like on you when you obviously have a baby and then you're trying to do career and you're an immigrant as well and uh, you're suffering with body image problems so it was a very hard year uh, in my life luckily we, we found a way through it with my husband who is also works in animation so it's quite help, helpful when you have a <laughs> freelance household so you can share a childcare 50-50 and you can find a way through it. Um, and uh, it did affect my work. I, I couldn't write for a year. I stopped writing for other TV shows because I just couldn't find energy. And uh, But then I made a short film and it's really helped me to focus on my own work and actually helped me to establish myself as a director in UK as well, which was great. Yeah, so I'm just curious as well, because I think like, I think we've, we've touched on this topic before in other conversations, but it's, it's rare to see older women working in animation or particularly women with children. Um, so I was just wondering as well, like how did you, did you have to find that support yourself and all that information on your own? Uh, yeah, at the time, yeah. I think now like I'm working in Blue Zoo and Blue Zoo has, a pro has lots of support for people at the moment. So it's quite nice to see that other women are supported. But uh, I was freelance at the time. So I guess as a freelance, you don't belong to any studio or you don't do... Uh, so people are kind of... It's more like, you know, you just go ahead with projects. And if you don't feel like it, you kind of just look for things yourself. And it was very hard. I think at the time people... I think after when my daughter was about two, people started coming out and speaking about it much more on social media and uh, on TV. So it kind of didn't feel as big as a bigger taboo. Yeah. But when when I had it, it was really hard. And uh, it's true, like uh, parenthood is hard, and uh, managing it together with a freelance career is really challenging. And I must say, we go through difficult moments. But at the same time, uh, it's uh, it's fine. Uh, there is a way through it. Yeah, I think um, as well as something Steph said about not knowing that you've got it, uh, you, you're struggling with these things and actually recognising that in yourself. Like I have a lot of trouble with um, insomnia, like anxiety. And I used to get like basically, I used to be up all night when I was a student and then I'd like basically go into like a panic attack in the middle of the night. And I was just always just like, and I think it's a cultural thing. So like, not to blame my my uh, yeah fixed mixed upbringing, but like my mom's Asian, and I think like it was this um, this thing in Asian community like it just doesn't exist. Mental health issues don't exist. So I was like um, just always like just thinking like it was me like just overreacting or something, and not actually understanding that it was it was how I was perceiving the problem, and it was actually a mental health issue. And I think it was only very recently that somebody um, it was actually last year actually, well sorry, no, because we're in 2021, it was in 2019 that I was really struggling with insomnia and it was affecting my work. I couldn't go into work because I was awake until about five in the morning and then knowing that you have to get up at seven, I was just like, every day I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And work was really understanding um, because I was really honest about it. I just said to them, I can't, I just can't do it. But um, 
yeah, I, I remember somebody saying that insomnia can be sort of like a, a manifestation of other things like depression and things like that. And that's kind of when I was like, this isn't just me, this is something bigger that I need to look at, um, not just the fact that I'm not sleeping. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, does anyone else want to say anything on this first question? It sort of, it brings to mind a little bit um, what you were just saying, my history of, I had a few, when I was growing up, some some paralyzing bouts of, um, I guess, anxiety. But like you say, at the time, it's not really, it wasn't really part of the social conversation in the same way. And it wasn't that, you know, family was unsympathetic. It was more like they didn't quite understand it. Um, the way it sort of manifested was, you know, through a anxiety, but also through like sleep paralysis, um, and a kind of like inability to sort of move forward. And I would kind of freeze in place a bit um, with where I was in my studies, and it happened in my teens, and then later on during my um, my bachelor's degree. Um, and it was, I was kind of in the dark about it all. I couldn't quite work out what was going on, and um, so that took some problem solving. Yeah. Uh, and it's something I feel kind of aware of with the situation we're in now, um, you know, as unreasonably disruptive as this situation is, uh, there's a threat in the air of, you know, returning to that state, um, which thankfully hasn't happened, not good. Uh, I know some people who have been struggling, um, uh, but day to day, it's, it's very much a, a matter of, like monitoring how I'm handling things and um, how I am with my work and how I am with the people around me. Um, and so as for how that sort of bleeds into my working life, um, which has been quite stable, I'm very glad to say over the last year, um, but uh, prior to my current gig, uh, prior to COVID, I was freelancing for the first 10 years or so. And on occasion, I would brush up against some really dark situations. Um, and so there are a couple in particular I'll, I might bring up later on, depending on how the conversation goes. Um, but I found that through, of all things, squiggly, actually, people getting in touch and just corresponding with people over the years, there was a lot of stuff that people shared, the similar experiences and um, uh that was nice in the sense that I didn't feel quite so isolated, but it also, it shouldn't be happening. It's, it sort of comes down to a lot of um, toxicity, I think, in uh, the work situations we find ourselves in. Mm. Yeah, I think like, if I think about some of the worst times I've had in my working life, mm. I think the biggest, the sort of fear and stress comes from mostly believing that you're alone in that experience and that nobody else is experiencing that elsewhere and the relief that comes with people who are really open with you and just say like unfortunately this is what's happening to a lot of people and you're not alone and there's nothing wrong with you and you know you haven't done anything wrong it's just the fact that you know for some reason this is the culture so I guess that does lead us really nicely onto our next question which is um what do you think the biggest mental health concerns are for people who work in animation yeah no um yeah basically like I, I do feel like it's very maybe it's just an uh, like an animated thing or something but I do feel like it's very hard for us to speak up 
you know, like when I was, so I worked with Tanya previously on another project and it was really nice because we could open up and talk about these kind of things. But especially during lockdown and stuff, I was living by myself and it's kind of like those thoughts are just in your head and they kind of, they can escalate and, you know, like manifest because you, even if it's just a little conversation with someone where you're just saying like, oh yeah, I, I, I felt like I did it like this. It's like, no, no, it's fine. Like you don't have that. So it just builds up, you know? And it's almost like you're constantly fighting yourself to tell yourself like everything's okay, you know? And then with, with, with the industry, it's like, I feel like everyone who works in animation is super passionate about it. Like you love anime, you love animation. You, you watch it in your spare time and everything. So I feel that leads to a lot of worry and self-doubt in yourself because like, we're always constantly comparing ourselves to, to our peers, which we shouldn't be doing. But like, you know, you see someone's working and like, oh, this is amazing. I, I, I love this or something. Why can't I do that? You know, and it's always like wearing your emotions on your sleeves and stuff. So if, if when you're doing projects and stuff and you get like notes or critiques back from like supervisors and stuff, which is an absolutely normal thing to happen. But, you know, I, I've had times where I've taken that so personally and made it feel like, this is my fault. I'm, I'm bad at what I do and stuff. And when you're, you know, when it, it gets to that point, it's very hard to tell yourself to stop and like, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not that case. So it leads to like working overtime or feeling guilty and stuff like that. So you keep, you keep going, you keep going further and stuff. And I feel like companies also know that like people who are in this industry are so eager like that. So if you get like fresh faced people who come in or younger people who come in and stuff, it's very easy to, to feel like everyone does this. So I need to do it as well. Like if they're, if they're producing work and it's here, then I need to be like working as much as I can, like taking in everything I can to make sure I'm reaching that level. And it's like, there's no communication and stuff and you can burn out so easily. And then the last thing I wanted to say is that it's also like, it's a double-edged sword because you love it so much. After work, you might go and watch like your favorite TV show or something. Like, you know, um, I, I was watching... I was watching Midnight Gospel a lot during lockdown, but it's also an animated show. So it's like, I've got no, no end to it. Like I finish work and then I'll just put on Netflix and then I'll watch it again. And because I'm stuck inside, I used to do a lot of cycling on the weekends, but I can't anymore. Well, I couldn't back then because like, I wasn't sure if I could even go outside, it was freaking me out so much. So I couldn't do any cycling and stuff. So it's like, I guess I'll just watch more cartoons or I guess I'll just play more games. And it's like, I'm literally just seeing it 24 seven and it's burning me out, building up a resentment and stuff. And I feel like, you know, this is something a lot of people do in, in, in the industry and it can build up so much to the point where you start hating having to go to work or you start hating what you're doing. And that, that brings such a clash inside you when it's, I love this, but why don't I find any enjoyment with this? Why is this messing me up so much? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Steph. Yeah, I just wanted to say about that, the creative pressure that you're talking about, because I think nowadays we have access to like so many great artists, you know, like through Instagram or Twitter. And we can we get kind of like a little peek into their daily lives and we can see all this amazing work that they're creating. And like even if like for me, I'm always saying to myself, like, I shouldn't compare myself to other people on Instagram 
but I still still sit there and like I'll scroll and scroll and I'll get completely lost and then I'll I'll log off feeling like really low about myself and how oh I haven't I'm not creating enough I'm not good enough I need to be you know like all these challenges like I'm I get up early every day and spend one hour drawing like I feel like oh why am I not doing that and kind of beating myself up about it when really like for me I'm not a morning person anyway so <laughs> forcing myself to get up at like six so I can draw for an hour before I start work just was is never going to work for me um and yeah the other thing I wanted to say like being a freelancer and being self-employed as well like when I first started doing that I was I felt a lot of pressure to kind of build my brand and be like show my creativity and like be constantly improving otherwise I felt like I was I was never going to get any work and that actually like Mo said it kind of takes the fun out of creating like I've just been through a patch where I didn't really draw anything for myself for like a year because I just couldn't whenever I sat, sat down I just felt too much pressure and whatever came out was just a bit rubbish really um so yeah that's that's what I think Sarah? Yeah, I was just going to kind of echo from the mental health perspective. I mean, working with lots of freelancers, predominantly kind of in film and TV, but that kind of sense of being freelance and that every job is almost like an audition, that sense that you've got to be better every time because, you know, all these industries, creative industries are so small. Everyone knows each other and it's you're always trying to get that good reference to move on. So I just think there is that real inherent pressure often within the workplace that can really kind of take the the enjoyment out of what it is you actually love to do because you're permanently maybe thinking about networking where's your next job going to come from how can I you know improve even more so I think that plays a big part yeah if yeah I wanted to add about the uh the pressure about the critiques and things I guess because we always receive so much feedback for all the work we do like obviously I work as a writer so I receive lots of feedback and obviously we're all working towards making a story the best we can make it but it does it's very hard to kind of separate yourself from uh, from your work because you love it so much it's kind of you there so it's like if someone's sending you feedback it's like they're commenting on you and it's very hard it takes me sometimes like when i have like feedback days when i have like had feedback for animatics for uh for for um my scripts and in one day like i need to take day off literally to just like recover because i need to remind myself it's not me it just you're working towards the best story it's fine but it's really hard it's really hard emotionally and uh, it takes a while to get it, it, i mean i've been working in the industry for more than 10 years and i still find it hard <laughs> every single time it's, it's, it's really hard on us I think um, it's, it's extra hard now as well, like the, everyone being remote. I had a friend who's an animation director and he was saying to me, for him, the worst part for him was giving people feedback remotely because he's not there. And when you read something on, you know, in writing, you can interpret that however many ways you want. And it's probably if you have got low self-esteem, you're going to interpret that in a kind of negative way on yourself anyway, like a detrimental way. But it's not necessarily that the animation director means that. He's just you know, in a rush, he's writing something down. Whereas if he said that to you in person, you wouldn't feel that way. It's, 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 it's adding a whole other layer to the sort of communication that's involved um, being remote now. Um, Steph, did you raise your hand then, sorry? No. <laughs> um, I was just gonna pick up on something Mo said as well, um, because I know, I mean, I've certainly heard from a few people about how I think 
this is this sort of passion and love for the craft is often um abused unfortunately by many studios where you know a lot of younger people come in and they're not really sure uh like how late they should stay if they should work late I, I was like that a lot when I was younger I kind of like hang around even if I finished all my work just because I felt like I couldn't be the one leaving work on time because leaving work even if I you know I'm not saying like I leave early like leaving work at six would be seen as a negative thing I thought so I just wouldn't I wouldn't do it around until like half past six and then go um and it's it is very I think there is like a sort of like a culture within animation to sort of uh you know you have to prove that you're really passionate about it and you really do care about it um to whoever's employing you because if you don't you might not be asked back and that is always sort of like the underlying worry for a lot of freelancers that then if if they treat it business-like that is a negative thing whereas really I, I, I don't know like I've started to sort of come on to the idea now that I should be coming in on time and leaving on time and work is work um, but I know that's very difficult for a lot of people um, did anyone else want to sort of jumping on that before you move on? Well, that, what you just said really reminded me of um, uh, a sort of early experience, one of the first gigs, and it may have been for the same studio, um, or certainly because I know we've worked at a couple of the same places, but that thing you just mentioned about this thing in the air of everyone is waiting for the first person to leave before they can leave, and uh, I really got a sense of that at one place in particular, and I, I figured I'd give everyone you know, and out, because I was always like six would roll around and be like, bye, and I was out the door, uh, but was never invited back there. Now, that may have just been down to all sorts of factors, but, you know, um, if I had maybe played that game a little bit, but I think I made it kind of clear I had kind of no interest in it. And as soon as one person says it, then everyone else kind of like, okay, I'll give myself another two minutes. And then, you know, um, but I think that the... It also reminds me of some of those um, articles that um, you sent us and I expect will be sort of posted along with this discussion about some really like bad horror stories about uh, a lot of VFX studios and uh, studios working on feature films. And, you know, oftentimes there is this sort of cultivation of, you know, you've really got to behave and you've really got to go the extra mile and people are being put through a real ringer. They're being kind of gaslit and manipulated and being convinced that, you know, being a cog in this machine is a privilege and a great opportunity to them. And it's, it's a kind of Stockholm syndrome, almost. Um, one of the most sort of notorious ones was Life of Pi. And I remember I, I knew someone who worked on that and you know, her attitude about it was really, really sunny. Like, ah, I worked on this amazing film. And uh, eventually sort of piece by piece found out that, uh, you know, she was part of, you know, the, the people who were being really not treated very well, all things considered. Um, but it had been tattooed, you know, on her sort of outlook. that you know, no, this was a great opportunity for me. And, um, and it's something that can happen, you know, in freelancing as well, like outside of a studio environment. Um, a project can be much smaller scale, uh, less outside your investment, less on the line, uh, but it can be equally toxic, the dynamic. Um, and, you know, 
like people have said, when you're starting out, you, 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 it's too crucial in your head and experience to miss out on. So maybe you'll bite off more than you can chew. Um, and you'll rationalize things. You'll tell yourself, oh, this will be a challenge. Uh, this will be something I can really learn, you know, a learning experience rather than, oh, I'm out of my depth on this. Like maybe this isn't the job for me, but because it's come your way, you know, you, you beat yourself up about the idea of turning it down. Um, and thanks to the, um, the modern miracle of social media, which is, um, I'm sure, going to come up quite a bit in this, uh, I was reminded that this past week is, I think, the 10-year anniversary of the worst, like, mental health crisis of, of my professional, like, freelance career. And it was one of those jobs. And I'm kind of, like, seeing all the things I was posting online about, you know, what I was putting myself through. Um, and not really seeing the red flags until after. And, uh, and as, I, as I mentioned before, like, it's a story I now hear quite a lot. It's people who get themselves into a situation where the client just doesn't really want to know about the realities of animation production. Because oftentimes you will work directly with a client rather than uh, a studio uh, as a kind of intermediary. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it developed an almost Pavlovian repulsion to animation after I was done. And that I think is the, the real sort of nightmare of burnout is, you know, there are physical issues as well. Like you can make yourself sick. Um, I like, you know, made myself really sick from lack of sleep with this particular job. But I also like opening up Tomb Boom or like holding onto the Cintiq pen gave me anxiety for months. And that's, that's no good. <laughs> you know, this is something that's meant to be, you know, your livelihood and your passion and, you know, you've had it kind of completely taken away from you and contorted into something ugly. Um, so it's funny because it kind of does start to feel like, um, like I always have a joke with friends, like everyone needs one bad relationship with a partner. It feels like you need one bad relationship with a studio to make you understand that this is like uh, how you need to behave at work and how you need to to notice these kind of. Um, dynamics you have with the people who employ you because I, I did mention something about this on Twitter the other day because I was saying there's one series that I worked on which is granted a very nice TV series and everyone if I tell people I've worked on it they get so excited especially little kids but it was probably like the worst TV show like studio that I'd ever worked for like it was just a horrible working environment and I had a breakdown when I was there my friend was telling me recently that she went home crying every day you know our boss hated it like we had one guy who was like off sick for ages because it, it was just so mentally draining for him you have these people coming up to you going I love that show <laughs> and you're just sitting there getting like really like bitter about it um Mo, do you want to say something? I was just going to go off what, what Ben said. It, it, it got to a point during lockdown where, because the computer I used to animate on is also the computer I used to just do whatever on. It got to a point where if I'm on the computer on like a weekend and I realize I've accidentally forgot to close work and I can see it, I'm just instantly back in that mode and I'm instantly like, I can't, I can't relax anymore. Like I'm, I'm not, sh I'm, I'm instantly stressed out again or I'm reminded of that deadline I didn't get to meet or I'm reminded of, oh, that shot still needs to be done or something. And like, you, you, you get so angry at it because it's like, it, shouldn't, it really shouldn't be this way. Like, obviously, 2020 was not the way that 
should have gone for anyone. So like you take that into consideration, you're like, oh okay, it's 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 fine because obviously this is just a, a difficult thing for everyone. But then at the back of your head you've got so much like, you know, resentment and anger towards it and stuff and it just bugs you. And then also like there's also that that tiny feeling where it's like like animation is a is is a young person's game or something. So the older you get, you're always like, oh, there's going to be like an influx of new people coming come coming into the job, and they've got so many great talents and stuff, and they're so many years younger than me. So why am I going to get my next job when they can hire all these people and stuff who are more bright eyed, less salty about the job and everything, and they're just like, you, you know, it's like I'm always comparing my whole self to a perfect version of someone else and I'm never going to win that and like last year that was just to an extreme <laughs> I think social media definitely doesn't help with that um, I, I know we're going to talk about this a bit later on as well but um, yeah that was when Steph was saying these things about you know how you judge yourself against other people and you know it's always that thing where um, people will show you their sketchbooks and it's like this art gallery in a book and you think how have you had time to do that you know like even when I was working and I live in greater London and I have to commute for work and sometimes it was like an hour and a half each way more if the trades were delayed which they usually are because I have to take some rail so it was like you know I I came home I was just done I you know I left the house at half past seven in the morning I was coming home at eight o'clock at night if you've been on the train with how many other people and you're angry and stressed about that, like I don't have time to make a, a, a sketch bit like that. But then I felt like almost like obliged or how could I find work if this is what other people are outputting and I can't ever reach that level? What am I going to do? How am I going to do that? Should I be doing things differently? And I think it's that, that sort of constant like questioning yourself. And I've actually had to, I actually had to remove myself off social media for a couple of months and then redesign how I used it and you know, reorganize myself. So like Instagram now, I do follow some people on there, but I make a conscious effort not to actually follow a lot of my peers. I actually only follow things that are sort of a bit more, uh, sorry, I don't know what that was, um, a bit more um, sort of inspirational kind of, you know, like history accounts and things like that. Um, yeah, did anyone else? Sorry, Sarah. Yeah, I was just going to say, just sort of following on really from what Mohammed was saying, and probably Ben, and you, the comparison, that sort of comparing ourselves, I find that so much more during the lockdown where people were almost, there was that, felt this pressure, you know, that they should be doing more or doing more e-learning courses or writing that book they'd always wanted to write, you know, because there was that time for so many people that were furloughed, lost work, that there was suddenly this time and that real pressure that we should be doing something. And all those comparisons on social media where people are like, oh, I've completed this course and I've got this online certificate. And for some people that just, it was just not a helpful space because it was just, you know, you were achieving something if you got through the day for most of us. So I think that, yeah, it was really interesting how definitely in these lockdowns, that immense pressure, especially the first one, people seem to feel to be doing things. Sorry, Evgenia. 
Yeah, I wanted to add that obviously having children in the lockdown makes it even harder because uh, like as a parent, you, you're kind of juggling uh, work and homeschooling and uh, you're seeing all these amazing accounts of all these parents who are rocking it and, you know, their kids showing off their kids, writing poems and doing all kinds of things. <laughs> like, like while our daughter just watches like her iPad literally the entire day because me and my husband are in the meetings. Um Yeah, it's really hard. And uh, I think, yeah, social media is such a mixed bag for me as well. And uh, I unfollowed lots of people from the industry, especially the ones who go on about uh, how amazing everything is and never show any other side. Um, I struggle as well to to be honest on social media, to be honest. I stopped um, stopped sharing much at all because I, I can't, I realized I can't really I can't be honest because then some, I, I, re, uh, I received some messages in the past, like if I was uh, talking about difficulties of parenthood, I would receive messages from some people saying that I should be grateful for that I can have a child at all and things like this. So I found it hard to share them because I realized, of course, I should be grateful that I have work, that I have a child and everything and I'm healthy and everything is fine, but it's still difficult and there are still, there are still difficulties. So I do appreciate people who are very honest on social media and they post things and it actually helps because I, yeah, it's like, sketchbooks I don't I don't know I have a big box of sketchbook when I was a student uh, in France and I haven't done sketching for a really long time now because I'm just busy working and uh, juggling parenthood visits all as well and actually uh, during lockdown I did feel the pressure of starting something new and I always wanted to learn Korean so I, I actually started the course but I gave up last week because I realized that I just putting myself under so much pressure for no reason and I, I just I, I was I felt really bad about it because I, it's it's kind of like a, a knowledge of failure. But I realized, you know what, I'm just going to be a parent and work, do my job. But maybe Korea need to wait, needs to wait a couple of years at least. So I guess it's like it, it, it is tricky and uh, it's very tricky when you see other people doing so many things and you never see the other side. But the other side is uh, usually the same as yours, really. Everyone's struggling. Oh, this is this is not um, part of what we were going to discuss. Well, I think maybe something we're going to discuss a little bit later on, but I'm going to ask it now because it seems relevant. So, um, just what both um, Evgenia and Mo were saying, like um, you know, this sort of it's interesting that everyone's sort of saying like I can't. You're in lockdown. You're feeling a certain kind of way. But then you, you you weigh that with saying, well, everyone's going through it. Everyone's, you know, I should be grateful for what I've got. How do you balance that um, while still being kind to yourself? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it seems very difficult to say, to acknowledge your own feelings when you feel like other people might have it worse than you have. Um, Sarah? Yeah, I was just going to say that that comes up an awful lot for me with people I'm working with. So it's like one of the cognitive distortions is like minimization, where you almost minimize your experience. So people will say, oh, you know, I feel terrible. I'm really struggling. And then they'll say, but, you know, the woman down the road's got it much worse than me. At least I've got a partner. And it's almost that guilt, feeling guilty for feeling terrible, which I just think is such an unhelpful space. And I always talk about, you know, there's no point comparing our journey to anyone else's and how we feel is valid you'll walk a different path so your feelings are valid because that does come up a lot that kind of minimization of experience and feelings yeah yeah I was just gonna say for me like I've definitely been guilty of that because we're like I'm in a really lucky situation like actually I've got an office at home I've got a place to work um but for me like how I've been dealing with that is I've 
so during this lockdown I started doing counseling phone counseling once a week and it's kind of like giving myself that space if it's just like one hour a week where I can just focus on on myself and like kind of accept that you know like Sarah said like my my feelings are valid and my struggles are valid and I, I just kind of need to learn to accept that and then I guess it's just having that space to kind of discuss what's in your head and get it out there so then it's not in your head kind of making you feel feel bad I think as well, like it, it sort of raised another point that I was thinking about um, away from this conversation. But again, yeah, it raised the point about it is, um, and again, this is probably something Sarah might have an interesting opinion on, like um, how social media kind of makes one person's problem everyone's problem or everyone can make their problem your problem. And how do you filter through that and navigate that? But, you know, I've had a similar thing where people have, have DM'd me or messaged me constantly about issues they're having at work because I've showed a certain level of empathy towards them. Um, and then it's been constant. I've had to, Mo wasn't the one doing it, but I have had this conversation with Mo because the person who was doing it was messaging me privately, even though I didn't know them very well, about all their problems. And I was just stunned. Like, I didn't know what to do with that information. I didn't know how to handle it. I was already stressed. And then I felt almost obliged to look out for this other person, even though I didn't know them. So I think that's another thing that social media kind of does. It kind of suddenly makes everybody's issues your issues and your issues everybody's, if you, you know, it's tempting to do that. So I was just wondering, like, do you have any advice for how to navigate that? Um, yes, Erin? Yeah, I was just going to say, I always talk about when we talk about kind of supporting other people and that it's always about being really mindful about how you are. Where are you? How do you feel? So it's that kind of old analogy of put your own oxygen mask on first before you can help someone else. So sometimes it really is about boundaries and that, you know, especially if you've got somebody all the time because you've been empathic and sending you their problems. It's about, you know, maybe signposting them to, to different support and not taking it all on board so that it becomes detrimental to you and your well-being. So it's always about kind of checking in and the same with social media. I, I think, you know, when we can get sucked into those spaces where, you know, we're worrying about everything, it's, it's all about kind of limited use and all those really boring boundaries that are so important for our own self-care, I think. It's interesting. Um, but, um, to take us into the next question then. So um, these concerns that we've all been raising and been talking about and how we're looking after ourselves, do you think these these are concerns that are taken seriously by the industry as a whole, by studios, um, yeah, by other freelancers, by education institutions? Genia? Um, yeah, I think definitely in the last couple of years it became more and more common that actually studios started talking about it and they, uh, like at Blue Zoo, they have a tr special training, mental health training for all the uh, heads of departments and it's great because it actually fills you they send emails like every week checking with everyone it's great because it helps you it feels that you can actually raise your hand and raise some issues without you know being fired or anything because obviously you're afraid is that what if you say something and it will make you unhirable in the future and especially with as parents like now uh, I'm juggling again homeschooling and uh, and work and and they've been really understanding and really trying to help and I think it's great that there is 
this conversation happening. And uh, um, I know people who worked for uh, vi visual effects studios in the last 10 years. And 10 years ago, there were so many issues. And again, lately, uh, I talked to people and there are better things for us in the industry. But at the same time, there are still lots and lots more people can do about it and uh, there is much more awareness we need to raise and I think it's the topic that it's literally endless because there are still so many problems in the industry that we need to keep talking about it and keep raising issues and you know like our, all the crazy schedules we all work towards all the deadlines you know it's kind of needs to become more humane in, in a way. Sure. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I've noticed a, a, a large shift sort of within film and TV production. I mean, there's so much more training and awareness now. You know, I've been running kind of training for heads of department via screen skills sort of since probably last May. And actually the uptake on that has been amazing. And it's all the time, you know, heads of department saying, can we have that course again? So there's definitely that awareness is being generated. And, you know, from my perspective, being able to provide like counselling service throughout an entire shoot, I mean... You know, I don't think that would have happened before. I think there's been a real shift. I mean, I know some of that's because of the pandemic, but I think, you know, there was a mental health crisis before, and I'm just hopeful that that kind of support can continue on afterwards. Ben? I think um, I, I largely agree. I think that everything is going in the right direction. But there have been a, a couple of sort of noticeable instances of work environments before the situation I'm in now, but when I was on short-term contracts and stuff and I would get a glimpse of different studio environments. And there are definitely one or two where I, I did get the impression if someone had a legitimate complaint about the way people were behaving or if they had a mental health issue, it would not be taken on in any real way and it would actually probably be made to feel like bad about it. Uh, and I think that comes more from a, less of a place of malice and more a place of just not wanting to know or not wanting to understand um, because of the, the pressures of the project or what, or also just being a little bit emotionally like uh, unreceptive to other people's concerns. Um, and another area that, uh, and this I think is kind of why my, my ears pricked up when you initially brought up this panel as um, wanting to have a, a sort of bring up some things was I did a bit of work uh, when I was teaching. Uh, I was sort of, I found myself unexpectedly involved in student well-being, uh, which wasn't what I was kind of brought on for, but uh, it was one day in particular where I was filling in for uh, student pastorals, which is essentially students kind of airing grievances or talking about concerns about how things are going. And, that really educated me as far as the sheer like length and breadth of student mental health at the moment, which is a very different beast than it was when I was a student, which wasn't, you know, an enormous amount of time ago. Um, I remember feeling, you know, like one of a very, very small handful of people that had issues at the time, but it was actually, a, it was just very, very much the sort of status quo. Um, like anxiety was kind of how, what these people kind of were functioning on. And, you know, that wasn't good. Um, and it, it was mostly kind of confined to the first year. Um, I got the impression that, you know, a lot of people kind of, it works itself out. Um, but for some people, I think they really felt like they weren't 
being seen. Um, different universities, of course, have different like student bodies, like the sheer volume of some courses. It's very hard to be noticed and be heard. Um, and I think that that's a concern that uh, the staff share. And I was talking this week with some uh, university colleagues about this and how they kind of felt about it. Um, so I think that there's, you know, again, there's sort of work to be done, but I do think that in intent, um, there are kind of strides being made that there are services available to students. But what I found was I, I would like ask, like, oh, are there well-being services available? And they'd be like, I'm not sure. And so I'd have to kind of look it up and say, oh yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, a group here that you can talk to and here are some numbers. Um, it was a very different sort of, I think by virtue of not being full-time staff at this particular university, uh, there was less of a kind of formal duty of care as far as like solving the problems. But I also, you know, I didn't want to leave them in the lurch either. So I kind of, I, I stayed in touch with a few of them just to kind of make sure that things were actually working out and I wasn't just kind of putting a bandaid over it. Um, uh, so, yeah, so, so I, I, I'm concerned I might be taking this a bit away from the original question. Oh, it's, it's all linked, isn't it? I think it's it'd be interesting to know. I mean, I graduated in 2010, and even then, which, I mean, in grand scheme of things, I guess it wasn't that long ago, but um, social media wasn't what it is today. And in terms of, like, learning and, and seeing what other people were making, like, I was really naive. Like, I didn't... I didn't do a foundation course. So I came to uni and, you know, my school, I, this makes me sound like a grandma, but like my school where I went to sixth form, I only had one computer and it didn't have Photoshop in it. And I had to learn everything when I got to uni. And I wasn't really aware of what other people were doing. So for me, there wasn't that, that really like, that thing where I felt like I had to do something. It was just kind of like a sort of figuring out as I went along. And I think, I, I mean, I, I went to visit my old university last year it was about this time last year to talk up to I think second year third year students and um I thought I I came away and this wasn't this wasn't anything wrong with the, the uni it wasn't the university doing anything well I think it was just a general the attitude had changed the concerns had changed and there was such urgency in all of them to 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 have everything figured out already and I couldn't understand it they were like well I, I want to do this so I have to make sure I'm doing everything right in order to get this it's like well life doesn't work like that you can plan for everything like this year's proof right like you can plan everything and it, you'll end up you know you'll think you're going to be an animator and then you'll end up being like a storyboard artist or I don't know what you know it's or nothing to do with animation even and I think that kind of like be all or end all I have to succeed by the time I'm 22 kind of attitude is, is very prevalent now. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, I've, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and all younger people sort of saying how old they are and they're, they're like 21 years old and they're complaining that they're old. Like it's just, it's this weird thing when you're like in your 30s and you're like, what? <laughs> like you're not, you're really not. Um, so I think it's definitely all connected. Like I think these, these concerns, I think, I mean, like, I, I don't think I'd be alone in sort of assuming that probably the internet doesn't help with certain aspects of mental health. Um, and maybe maybe that's been part of the problem for students, is the fact that 
they are always connected. It's always in their pockets. They're always worrying about it and concerned about these things. Um, I mean, like it's it's good to hear that to hear that universities do have these things available, but I can imagine that a lot of them don't actually communicate that with their students. I, I think it is communicated, but in the sense that like when you go into a university and you're given a big info dump of all the stuff that the university has to offer and all the extracurricular, I think it's kind of part of that. Um, actually, I'm just guessing, but that would be sort of from my memories of uni. Um, but yeah, like you say about the expectations we put on ourselves and there's that first year of university where like everything is built up to be so important. I can't get this wrong. Mm-hmm. And that was something that came up um, in my conversations this week is, is kids are getting really wound up over little trip ups, but they don't realize that they're little trip ups and that actually the first year is kind of where you make your mistakes, you know, um, and they would, they would dwell on it and really get, you know, get wound up and feel like they're failing. And um, so I think that that's something also to kind of, you know, maybe communicate a little louder is that this isn't what it all hinges on, this initial thing. Uh, I mean, there are definitely instances uh, I heard of where there were kids who were just not engaged. And, you know, um, there are plenty of people, I'm sure we all remember people who were on a course and it just wasn't for them. But I think that in some instances, it's, it's more likely that it actually is for them. Um, it's just that they've, they've misinterpreted what's important and what needs to be prioritized and um which is a very easy thing to do um so yeah and in terms of working i guess i I was just thinking more about um what again you were saying as well like i think it's interesting that i would definitely feel more comfortable flagging the fact like say if i had another insomnia you know week or whatever I would feel comfortable mentioning that at the age and the experience level that I am now. But saying that, I don't feel like the culture that uh, is the root of the problem has actually shifted very much. I think there is still an expectation that you should work extra time if you're needed to. And there is, I mean, I've heard of some studios where it's, it's essentially emotionally blackmailing their crew to work later where they said like, oh, but we're a family and you need to do this for us. It's literally like what they're, what they're saying to their crew. And I think that hasn't changed, unfortunately. And I do wonder if, you know, what, what is, what is the purpose of having a mental health sort of branch to your HR department or whatever, if you're still cultivating this kind of unhealthy work-life balance? I'm Sarah? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I get that a lot, you know, the culture, as much as there is that shift and that people are more open, there is definitely still that culture where people are afraid to say, and especially I work with a lot of trainees, new entrants, and there's definitely that fear of that they they don't feel they can say that they're struggling or it's too much because they just believe that they'll be penalised subsequently and they won't work again. So I think the shifts really have to come from the top and it's all about that HR piece and you know who's who's responsible where's the culpability if there is a problem um so yeah i think it's moving in the right direction but i think there's a bigger change at the top because at the moment i sometimes feel it's just a band-aid at the moment um 
so one question I wanted to ask, and I, I did actually open this up. This is the one that I was going to be open up to everybody on Twitter, but nothing happened. Um, but I was watching the um, film and TV charities uh, YouTube video on the results of their survey that they had last year. And, um, it was interesting that one of the things that came up was this sort of, um, a lot of people who've responded saying that, that they had been told that they had to be tough and resilient in order to survive the industry and I was just wondering if that's the kind of attitude that you guys have sort of heard or witnessed if that's something you felt even at times um, Mike? I've almost felt like you sometimes have to not care about what you're working on and what you're doing just so you don't overstress or you know you can keep it together and like yeah, you have to be you have to be tougher. You have to like not take all these things in and stuff like that. And I also feel, but I feel like that's not really fair on the individual as well. Like that's asking a lot from one person, you know. Whereas like you know, there's so many changes that can happen within studios to make it just easier, you know. Like like uh, for example, like you know, with deadlines and stuff like that, usually that comes from a place where they're permanent and they can't change or something, but how you get to a deadline can, or you can communicate with the people who are working on it and stuff instead of like, like I've been in places where deadlines have just changed and it's been like, okay, cool. So this week, this is what we have to do. You have to do it. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. I, I, I've just started that. There's no way, but because like what everyone was saying before, because people are like, yeah, okay, let's do it. That's great. And stuff like that. You feel like, well, I can't say anything now because now I'm the bad guy. Now I'm the guy people aren't going to, you know, want to hire back. I'm the guy people don't want to talk to you. So it's like, okay, fine. I guess I won't care as much about everything that's going on and I'll just get through it and stuff. And if you get through it, that just basically validates that this can work. And if you don't get through it, you just feel horrible about yourself. Like it's a no win. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's definitely something like you're saying again, like the culture of it. Like it's this sort of like all hands on deck. You've got to be part of the team, and if you're not part of the team, then why why are you here? Um, even if you feel like you're very justified in what you're asking for, and you're just asking for a bit of clarity and a bit of help, um, some studios do sort of keep, like to sort of make sure their crew understand that this work just has to be done regardless of what you have planned for yourself and your own time. <clears throat> Something also that's coming up quite a bit, um, are very lofty asks of applicants to studios mm -hmm. where the expectations of software proficiency <laughs> is just not, it doesn't really line up with, you know, what's actually achievable. Like, if you, you know, you can go and do a whole degree and everything, but you're not going to learn everything. And I think that the expectations of A, this, all the softwares, but B, all the kind of roles, like there's a lot of like job postings I see nowadays for studios that, you know, list all the things that are a plus and they span all sorts of different roles that shouldn't be attributed to one individual. Um, and I think that that can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, because you're applying for a job, you're going to, you know, you're going to want to make the best impression and you get thrown into that environment if it goes through. Um, and then you, you could end up being sort of pinged all over the place. 
um, and that's not really very fair. Yeah, I, that's definitely something I think that's changed a lot over the past 10 years. When I started, like, I learned selection on my first job. And when I went to the next place, like, people were taught on the job because it was just one of these things that not everybody knew. Whereas now Team Boom seems like a much bigger thing. It seems like everyone's coming on. They're saying to everybody, like, you should already know Team Boom. If you don't know Team Boom, then we haven't got time for you. And it's, you know, there are so many different softwares to learn. Like, if I think of all the different ones that I use... Um, but that's you know I've had to make a lot of time to do that and if I didn't for example have you know some bursary funding from screen skills then I wouldn't have been able to learn Team Boom um, and I think yeah you're you're completely right like I've I've definitely felt that like I've read some job descriptions and I just think well who's applying for this because it's it's not going to be any graduates it's not going to be anybody from a different kind of background because you're asking too much and I think there is some sort of detachment from um whoever does recruitment and like the realities of the job i find that quite often as well like there's this expectation of what somebody should be able to do and even if you've been working that job for a long time you're just sitting there going well nobody's asked me what i think and then recruited off the back of that even though i'm the person with the knowledge and who can actually help in that regard um so steph yeah i just wanted to say what you just said about that there being no communication with you like i've especially in motion graphics, I've found like a lot of agencies really overpromise their clients on what can be achieved animation wise. And then they kind of just come and dump it on you. And with motion graphics in particular, I feel there's a lot of pressure. Like people are always kind of posting about their all nighters they've done or all this extra overtime and like, and they're not even getting paid for it either. So it, it just seems like, you know, like you said, you just have to kind of lump it and be tough and just get on with it. But, like for me, that just doesn't work at all. I just get very, very stressed and it makes my anxiety worse. And then I, I can't enjoy like my free time and I just can't relax and I can't switch off. But um, yeah, I think in motion graphics in particular, it's like that. Yeah, I think I've, I've just remembered some examples from series as well, where I think a lot of the crew, like my department in particular, the people I was working with felt um, incredibly underappreciated, underappreciated by management because it, there was like a big, I wasn't there because I was off on holiday, but there was a big um, sort of rep party type thing and it became apparent that the director had completely forgotten that this department even existed and they didn't know what we really did at all. And it was this kind of like realisation that it was just like you were working your, your butts off and nobody had it actually noticed, which is quite a demeaning um, beginning. Yeah, I, I had experience working in advertising when I started my career and directed a couple of things. And uh, advertising is crazy industries and stuff. It's like um, I found it very, it's not family friendly in any way. It's really tough. And I remember receiving an email from my producer saying, so today we need this by EOP. And I was like, what is EOP? It's like, it's not like end of the day. What does it mean? And I thought, oh, whatever. Yeah, we'll say yes. And then, and then I found out what it means. It basically meant that I needed to stay awake until the client signs off whatever we were providing. And I remember thinking, Jesus, this is the last time I'm going to do this because <laughs> I, just, I, I just had like three months with no life whatsoever. I haven't seen my daughter, haven't, haven't been home properly, like spent in my, I used to rent a studio and spend in the studio at most of the time. And and actually, TV is better in a way, but still also depends on the projects, obviously. Yeah. But it's tr it's like there are some of these kind of pockets in the industry where you find yourself when you just expect it to work these crazy hours for 
for no reason really we're just making some content for something that could be moved on you know like uh, it's like is it bad planning or why 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 is it so like why we put in the situations at all and i think lately i started raising my hand more often and kind of speaking up about it and sometimes it's possible to adjust deadlines and sometimes because we're not like you know we're not like surgeons we're not gonna people are not gonna die if you don't do the operation because if like a, you know tv show will uh the script will be delivered a day later nobody's gonna die about it you know so I think it's it's it's, it's tricky and uh, it's definitely something that needs to be discussed more and adjusted to people's lifestyles as well. One thing I just um, sorry this is a bit of uh, something it was a separate topic, but I was just wondering as well. One one thing that was very apparent from that um, TV and film charity survey was the fact that um, bullying seems very prevalent in these industries, um, which we don't really seem to talk about very much. So I was just wondering if anyone has witnessed it, experienced it, and whether or not you think that's something that people are becoming more aware of and, you know, anything like that. Um, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something that people are more aware of. Obviously, you know, screen skills have their bullying and harassment e-learning module. And, you know, I think so there's definitely an awareness. I think it still exists. And I think that's about I talked about earlier, those changes at the top that need to happen, the culpability and where do you go to? Because, you know, historically, so many productions didn't have like there's not an HR department. But that, you know, I can see that changing definitely with production HR and a lot of the big studios and other smaller production companies taking on employment assistance programs. So I think there's a change, but I definitely still think it's rife. I think that um, it's a tricky thing because I think that on the surface, there's a, a big movement kind of happening of people being made aware and, you know, changing things for good and studios really addressing their internal, you know, issues and not standing for that kind of behavior. Um, but that's the stuff we're seeing. And something that occasionally sort of flits across my radar are the people kind of speaking out against student bu uh, studio bullying, and it's not getting the traction on social media, so they just end up getting sued, or they get fired, or they get blacklisted. And uh, it's, it's, it's very circumstantial. It's a bit of a crapshoot, which, you know protestation i guess of um internal studio abuse is going to get picked up and get a popular article attributed to it um so i think that there is still resistance out there to sort of speak up when things present themselves um but like i said we're, we're kind of seeing the instances where people are you know they're getting their voices heard people rally and they support them and you know uh, hundreds of thousands of retreats and stuff like that. And even that sometimes doesn't even really affect much change. Um, so, yeah, and I was kind of reminded of, like, recently I, I did a review of a documentary on uh, John Christopher Lucy, who was a notoriously hard-to-work-for guy, and the descriptions in this documentary about working on that production um, are really, like, ugh. Like it's it's the worst case scenario of like troubled series production, but it was just presented as like ah it's just you know it's part and parcel of being part of you know this crazy wave of what it is we're doing, and that that you know 
that sort of goes back a bit to what I was saying before about like the rationalization and the convincing people that, you know, actually it's, 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 you know, we're the ones who owe the, these people who are our kind of abusers in a way. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think um, I've, I, one of my first jobs, I had quite a serious, I, I, I didn't even identify it as bullying. Um, actually what happened was um, it was because I was still quite young. My mum ended up calling citizens advice because this is like 10 years ago. And um, because she was really worried about me and this, this person from Citizens Advice was like, this is workplace bullying, like your daughter has grounds to do something about it. And I just left and I didn't know what to do about it because I felt like the people who were doing it had so much control over my career that I couldn't actually say anything or do anything about it. And that was how I was made to feel because, you know, somebody told me that if I wanted to work in animation, I'd, I'd grovel for forgiveness to these people who had done this to me. So I, I was, I freaked out. Like I thought I was never going to get a job ever again. And I was like really freaking out. And I think um, people do sort of weirdly justify that kind of behavior on the crew. If they don't want to get involved in it, they kind of justify it or pretend it's not there. And I think that's, that's always been a concern for me. I have seen it happen in other studios to other people since, or heard about it, I should say, I haven't been there. Um, And again, that kind of, behavior and treatment they've received has been sort of validated by the people around them but the people who are doing the bullying don't seem to be called up on it they seem to be told like you know the person who's being bullied has been told that they just need to get on with it and and just you know this person's having a bad day you know this kind of thing so it's, it's interesting because like you were saying Ben like it's a lot of these studios who seem to be very publicly telling everybody that they're changing things or it's behind the scenes it's not the reality and I think that actually can that in itself can can play hazards to somebody's mental health if they're working within that company because you know they're experiencing that they're already feeling lonely and yet to everybody else outside the window it looks still looks like you should be having a lovely time that you should be being treated properly you know it's it's very difficult to know who you should talk to about that and whether or not you can say something publicly and flag these things without it ruining your reputation. Um, so finally, um, obviously now more than ever, it's really important that we take care of our mental health. Um, so do you have any tips or advice for people who are working remotely on how to stay healthy, proactive and creative? And Steph, and then Sarah. Um, yeah, so I think the biggest thing that I've really learned this year is just to kind of be kinder to myself and like not not put so much pressure on myself, not keep having a go at myself um, and don't don't make myself feel guilty. Like if I'm not, what I've found um, is that sometimes I'd sit at my computer and I just don't want to work. Like I just, I can't focus, I'm distracted, I feel really tired and then instead of like taking a break I'll just kind of sit there try and force myself to do the work um and then just the thought of stopping makes me feel really guilty so it's kind of like the guilt is is stopping me from having a rest and I think especially with lockdown and the homeschooling and everything it just got a little bit too much and I was like right I've got to step back you know just take a five minute tea break or just go out outside the house just half an hour walk anything just to get away because then then I can come back and I will actually be more focused and be actually able to do the job so yeah that was um 
one tip and then I just wanted to add because we talked a lot about social media um I actually installed an app blocker on my phone (laughs) so I read online that like in the more in the morning and evening is like when your brain is kind of most vulnerable and you shouldn't like look at new like don't read the news don't um go into that endless doom scrolling like on Instagram so I've actually set app blockers up for myself like the two hours in the morning two hours before I go to bed where I just can't can't access the apps and you know sometimes I will still open them but then a little little box pops up and it's like are you sure and I'm like okay no this is like past me reminding myself to take care of myself so yeah and then I was just going to add to that, really following on from what Steph said, obviously, because work and home life or working from home tend to merge together. So that kind of strategic scheduling where you actually put in your phone when your breaks are going to be and you make sure you have lunch in another room, you almost have to be really strict with yourself. I'm finding that with me as well. You know, the boundaries really firm. So you put those like breaks. I'm going to have a 10 minute break at 10 o'clock. I'm going to have, you know, a, a proper lunch break and you put them almost in your phone so that you have to abide by it. And the other kind of two tips, I guess there was some research that came out in America and things that help with lockdown specifically um, were mindfulness and flow. So mindfulness being present in the moment and finding a flow state, which is that kind of state where you're totally engaged um, and you lose sense of time. And those two things were, were said to really, really help with people's mental well-being during lockdown. Yeah, I think that's, that's really good. I've, I've found that I've had to teach myself that over the years is like if I sit down at my desk, and I just don't feel like I'm going to be able to do anything. I just walk away from the desk and I come back to it later because there's just no point enforcing yourself because you're just going to produce bad work anyway. I'm one of these people who does like really quick bouts of work and then I need a break and then I'll come back and I'll do another quick burst of like, loads of work and then I'll need another break. So I think understanding your own your own working patterns and when you're most productive is really important and do you Sarah do you have any kind of um sort of advice or apps or suggestions for if somebody wants to sort of start doing things which encourage like mindfulness meditation um I mean there's lots of apps out there I mean the thing with lots of them is you get like a free bit at the at the beginning and then it's all an add-on you have to pay I think calm is always a really good app I don't know how much is free um but I mean there's lots of good ones out there headspace is another one that's really good. And, you know, there are proportions of things that are free and that you can use some of the bits and pieces. And there's lots of, I mean, uh, you know, even on Eventbrite, there's lots of kind of free classes going on at the moment. So, you know, of course, as well, Headspace, there's lots of animation on it, which makes it really good for us. Um, uh, Mo? Yeah, I was going to say, I have to, I keep reminding myself every once in a while that I'm doing okay. Like, you know, I'm in this place because I was able to get here because of my own skills and everything. And I have to keep telling myself that, you know, like stop, stop criticizing yourself and stop saying all these negative things or these conspiracy theories that you've conducted yourself, you know, like kind of like push that down. And then when there, when you're in those like really like spiraling, spiraling bits and stuff, kind of just being like, well, I can't force this out of my my my, my mind because by doing that, I'm just going to exhaust myself or stress myself. Be like, why can't I stop thinking about this? So like um like what Sarah and Steph said, I like physically leave the area. Like there was a there was a point when I was in Bristol where 
I moved my, I have a TV in the living room and I moved it to the middle of my bedroom. It didn't make sense. I had to walk around it to like get to the cupboard and stuff, but it just meant that the living room was where I was working. And if I wanted to relax, I'm in a completely different space. And the few weeks I did that, like I saw a complete difference because it felt like, oh, okay, I'm coming in here to work now. I'm done. I'm going back into the other room and it was it was so nice and stuff it's a it's a bit harder obviously if you don't have that space and you can't you you can't move things about and stuff so another thing that i was trying to do was like even if i'm just stepping out of the front door for a bit or like just getting a bit of fresh air every now and again like it kind of just makes those issues feel so much more smaller you know, because it's like you see, you see everything else. You're like, oh yeah, I was worried about a shot from a show that you know, it, like yeah, it's not rocket science or something. At the end of the day, like it's, it's you, it just helped it helped me to calm down, and um, yeah, um, I I have I've been using Headspace as well, and like sometimes you know, just being on there for a bit and like closing your eyes and stuff, and it just it seriously just calm, calms you down, and then. Yeah, like you were saying as well, Tanya, like if you can't work because like you've, you've done a burst and you're like, I, I, I physically can't do this and stuff. Like it's different. We're not in the office anymore. You know, it's not the same thing as like, if I have to take a break, I'm going to do it. You know, like I, I can't physically just be in one room looking at this computer all day, especially when like I might see something on the news or I might see something that absolutely stresses me out considerably. I can't just be like, okay, well, I've got to focus on this. Like, you've got to take, you've got to put yourself first. I think it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. And I, I mean, I hope that this is, I, I don't know because I'm not working for a studio at the moment, but I hope this is something as well that studios are paying attention to. Cause I know, you know, having, I, I was on Slack for a bit when I was working for a studio and that kind of that feeling of obligation to be on slack and then to almost be online like during when you should have a lunch break because you feel like well if somebody messages me I should be there like instantly replying back um but I I made a conscious decision when I was working the series not to install slack on my phone or on my ipad because I was like it's for when I'm on my computer but when I've turned my computer off you cannot get hold of me because it's not it's not working time like you shouldn't have to be chasing me up outside of the working hours um, and I'll reply to you when I see the message I'm not going to be there like endlessly watching slack waiting for somebody to message me um so it's it, yeah it's it's weird because you feel like you need to reach out to people because you're so far apart but simultaneously it's try and find a way to give yourself space even though there seems to be space around you all the time now um yeah that's interesting for um Ben and then again uh, yeah, I, a couple of, of things that had sort of come to mind um, as far as like general advice. And I think that a lot of what's come up, I, I 100% think is, is you know, really important. Curating social media, especially, I would reinforce like, you know, how, how you expose yourself to it and what you expose yourself to when you're on it. Um, it is a sort of night and day difference, like a few, you know, mutings and blockings will make. Um, and, uh, something that you kind of brought up earlier about other people kind of making their problems, your problems, a sort of variant on that is that because, I mean, we all are, are struggling at the moment in some way or other, and some people 
I, I'm finding it's less that they're kind of trying to share problems, they're trying to make problems. And that I think is often the kind of origin of all sorts of bullyings and things that kind of, you know, trigger anxiety, the way people are with each other. And it's not really limited to animation, but it's, it's you know, it's part, it's cropping up here as well. Uh, it could be people that you live with, um, you know, roommates or just general sort of tensions. Um, and what I found is that when people kind of just won't let up, like they have to kind of like, you know, get under your skin to make themselves kind of feel better in general or sort of beat you down. The thing I kind of fell into, and this came from a few years ago in a separate situation, but it was one of those types of, you know, deals where it was someone who just was, was not leaving me alone and just had to kind of like make everything a drama and a big deal. And that becomes a source of like, oh, for God's sake, what is this? <laughs> what are they going to bring up today? What's today's problem going to be? Um, and so it became, a, it, it was initially kind of like me shutting down and just like, you know, I can't deal with this. And then what I found is that was the only thing that effectively dealt with it was the lack of acknowledgement. And when that isn't being fed on, then eventually they go away and they kind of, you know, hopefully don't find someone else to prey on. But it, it did kind of solve the situation once there wasn't an audience, a participating audience, once there wasn't someone who was kind of rising to that drama. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if there's like a sort of a, a term for that, but yeah, like disengaging with people kind of trying to start um, trouble, kick up fires and things like that. Um, Cause we've, we've, you know, there's too much other stuff to do and better uses of our time and attention. Um, Going back to the student thing, um, uh, something that again came up um, this week was, I think one of the main triggers of like real like panic attack anxiety was when looming deadlines would converge. And actually this was something that did come up at the time. And I think there has been some course restructuring because of it, which is good, but you know, still every once in a while you will have like a big buildup of things that you're kind of like focusing on and trying to get to at the same time. And that can create a lot of like, you know, uh, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And, um, you know, the old expression is how do we eat an elephant one bite at a time? And that is kind of, I think, the best sort of approach. It's, it's I guess, kind of the self-discipline of planning ahead and just sort of making sure, okay, every day, is just a little bit of this, you know, you don't have to get everything done today, but, you know, make a start on it or have a look at it, you know, don't hide it away. Um, just do manageable chunks. I guess. Um, it's of course easier said than done. And even as a man, my age now, sometimes we'll have a whole bunch of stuff to do and it's just, oh, for God's sake, do I have to, but you know, it's, it's knowing that that in the long run, that will save you so much grief and internal sort of self-imposed, like, you know, um, yeah, anxiety. Um, that would be just sort of a general generic piece of advice I would give. Evgeny? Um, I would say uh, 
I think what helped me to go through lockdowns, all three of them, uh, is I guess uh, it's exercising. Just uh, even if it's a walk, like uh, Sarah mentioned and stuff, it's it's like just getting out of the house. But also even just try and like because I I don't really like exercise. I always like try to stop myself from doing anything. But even it's like I don't know, just fifteen minutes of cardio, and it's actually boosts the mood so quickly. Like, straight after, it's really really helped. Um, and also talking to other people, uh, is it your friend or someone you work with, or maybe it's your parent or, or, or a psychotherapy if you really need to, because I think it's important to acknowledge you have something going on. And I think we're all now having so many things going on in our lives. I think it's very important to find someone you can actually talk to without being judged or without being told to suck up and get on with it, you know, and, um, and because uh, my husband works in the same industry, we have a good old winch to each other, which really helps. <laughs> so it's just about someone listening to you and uh, not trying to give you any advice or not trying to, you know, tell you what to do. Just literally listening and nodding and you feel better after you had this chat. Um, and, and also, if you find yourself in Korea and you're wondering whether it is the right direction, because the thing is, like, when I started, I even did the illustration for kids' books for a while. Uh, I don't know how I found myself in it, like, accidentally got an agent and, <laughs> and started doing illustration for kids' books. And it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. It just happened. And I seemed to be fine with it. But it wasn't an industry I wanted to stay. It didn't really work for me. The, the deadlines, the, the fees weren't right for, for my time. So I kind of walked out of it. And again, it's okay to change the direction. I think there is a lot of pressure to know what you want to do from the very start. Um, but how do you know unless you try? And maybe maybe like you all said, like maybe, yeah, animation is not for you. Maybe storyboarding is for you, or maybe writing is for you, or maybe background artist, um, art is for you. You know, so it's, it's fine to change the direction at any point, whatever age you are, whatever stage you are in your career. I think it's, it's very important to acknowledge that something is not working for you and you're not going to go and fix the whole industry. So maybe just change your role slightly or dramatically. I think it's okay to... Um, move away from it and find something else so uh, I think it's and also remember remembering that we're all going through these difficult times and we all have problems and even if you see uh, you kind of uh, see the other people rocking it and they look amazing and cool and they're having best times of their lives they actually don't uh, behind it all every single person I talk to who I follow on social media and they have amazing social media accounts they all complain and whinge and they have lots of problems and makes you realize oh actually <laughs> it's okay because we all we're all going through it and uh, it, it, it's okay it, it, it's um, it's going to be fine and then somehow <laughs> I think that's for me and a couple of friends that's been the hardest part is not being able to whinge about work uh, in person you kind of miss that don't you it's, it's so cathartic having a little complain with friends and your lunch break <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think that's all really great points and really, really interesting. It does just, I guess it does just amount to uh, understanding self-kindness and what it is to make time for yourself and giving yourself that space. Um, and certainly, yeah, definitely I agree. Like for me, it's been like I've, I've had a film that I've been working on for God knows like, like years now. And somebody said to me at the beginning of lockdown, oh, you've got no excuse now to finish, not to finish it. And I did nothing on it. Like it was the least amount of work I had done for like a year. I just didn't touch it. And it's only recently I've come back to it because I've, I've had the space away from it and I've made the decision not to be at my desk in the evenings and I'm not here at lunchtimes. And, you know, 
it was fine when I was working in a different studio and I'd be at my own desk on weekends then because it was my own work it was for my own pleasure but suddenly it's, it's very difficult to to know where the line is now and I think it's it, that's okay I like, don't feel like you have to be producing everything all the time um even if people expect it from you they shouldn't be um but yeah does anyone else want to anything else you want to say <laughs> no okay great well that's that's the end of the questions thank you all so much I think that was really going to be really helpful for everybody I think people really enjoy hearing that they're not alone and I'm sure a lot of these things are things that people are sharing the experiences now um but yeah thank you all so much thank you yeah. thanks thanks